Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Welcome to Travel First with Chris Coleman and Alex First. Welcome along to Travel First. My name's Alex First and last week we were talking about licorice. So where are we going to go this week? Well, we're going to go from Copenhagen to other parts of Denmark. And joining me on the expedition... Chris Coleman, g'day, sir. I always love it when you give us a reminder of something that we were doing last week uh, that I'd completely forgotten about. Indeed, uh, Licorice, Copenhagen, uh, Hans Christian Andersen, Danny Kay, and all that stuff. And my wife's green watch. Indeed. Mm, which I told her about after the podcast, and I said, look, you are famous now. I'm not sure that she actually appreciated the worth, but there you go. I was saying to you that you should buy the Copenhagen card when you are going there because it gives you free admission to lots of museums and attractions and free public transport and so on, trains, buses and metro. So, yeah, if you're going there for a day, if you're going there for several days, check it out. But we were about to board a train at Central Railway Station and a regional train to a place called Odense, O-D-E-N-S-E, that's my wife and I, about 140 kilometres, an hour and a half away from Copenhagen. And Odense is Denmark's third largest and one of its most picturesque cities, hence the reason for my visit. Mm -hmm. Lots of charm about it. Couple, well, 200,000 people live there. So, yeah, not not a bad place, I might say. I reckon 200,000 is compared to the big cities in Australia, which I reckon... You know, are getting a little bit too big. I'm you know, I'm a Melbourneian, as you well know, and getting around Melbourne is no longer as much fun as it used to be 20 years ago, Chris. I think it's the same about a lot of places as they get bigger. And Melbourne and Sydney have... have uh, they've both grown. They've grown differently and, and both now have additional problems, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's mainly the infrastructure, isn't it, to cope? And you've got more people and you've got... You really do need more infrastructure and better public transport and more frequent public transport. And dare I say it, hint, hint, a train to the airport would be a really good idea. We're only a few decades behind the rest of the world. Is is Melbourne still talking about doing that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh good. As long as you're talking about it. That's... We constantly have the conversation. It's really good. I mean, you know, when, when we're six feet under, it might eventually happen. We're the world's most livable city, I might say, and yet we still don't... We can't get out to the airport other than by using, well, dare I say it, Uber, or by getting a taxi. And from my place, a one-way trip is well over $100. So you can get an airfare cheaper than you can go to the airport with. But see, maybe that's the reason why Melbourne is such a livable city, is that nobody can get from the airport to the city. Ah, so yes, of course. everyone arrives, they arrive, they say, oh, what a nice airport, we can't go anywhere else, off we go. We're going to keep you here. Forever and a day. That's right. Quite so. Like that Tom Hanks movie, The Terminal, where everyone just now they, everyone just arrives in Melbourne, lives in the airport for a while, and goes off again. Mind you, I, I have to say, near our place, they are doing roadworks. Well, they're actually putting some train stations underground, which is a really good idea. The disruption to local businesses has been diabolical. But I, I'm really impressed. I, 
I go past there every day, obviously, to get to my place when I'm travelling. And, gee whiz, it's, it's like when we used to play with Tonka trucks as kids, the amount of soil that's taken out to make an underground train station, I, I, I'm like a kid with a, in, a, in a lolly shop. I, I could stand there for hours just watching. So there you go. This is planes, trains and public transport. I want to go back to Denmark now, if you don't mind. Oh, so you don't want me to tell you about the, the, that I live about 500 metres from the end of the, the light rail line that they're about to start building in Canberra? Or we'll save that for another oh. time. Really? No, no, no. So, so you're going to be put out because of the noise? Well, no, I, I reckon I'm just far enough away. I'm about a block back now, but I'm looking to move house later the, this year. And if I move to the place I'm looking at, we'll be right. Then, then we'll have the fun of the, the roadworks and the, and the oh, no, rail construction. No, yeah. That's not fun. Well, I get woken up every morning by a... I haven't actually gone out to sort of shake my finger at this this driver... But there's a dog that my wife says is some sort of working dog and he allows the dog to stick its head outside the window of its truck and the dog barks and wakes the entire neighbourhood every single day at an ungodly hour. What do you do in a situation like that, Chris? You go on holidays and I reckon you go to Denmark. I agree. Thank you very much. So Odense is, as I said, the third largest city in Denmark best known for being the birthplace of the world-famous fairy tale writer Hans Christian Andersen. So I knew we'd get to him eventually. Mm. And, you know, visiting his birthplace, now a museum, definitely worth a trip from Copenhagen. It's quite an old city, uh, Odense. Celebrated its 1,000-year anniversary in 1988. And the name originates from the Nordic god Odin. So... Even a 1,000 years ago, people came to live in Odense because it was considered a holy place. And the city centre, relatively small, about a kilometre and a half in each direction, so it's easy to walk around. And in summertime in particular, you can really take a beautiful, picturesque river tour. From where that tour ends, you can walk to a place called Funen Village, which is an outdoor museum. Anyway, we, we started off the best way we could. Our guide for the day, and we had one, which was delightful, took us to... Hans Christian Andersen Museum, where we spent a thoroughly engaging couple of hours in the brilliantly laid out and equipped interactive museum. That's what's great about museums. It's not just have a look at things and they're passive. You can get involved. And I learned heaps about this brilliant writer, illustrator and artist through the many displays that tracked him from birth to death at the age of 70. The times he lived in and the way he was originally... He was actually somebody who was considered unusual. Right and and living to seventy is is was quite something back in the day. Well, back in those days, the life expectancy would have been what fifty, fifty five. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So from the age of two until fourteen, he lived in the house, which today has been turned into a museum. He grew to be a very, very tall man for his time. He had large feet, and some thought he was quite ugly, although. I didn't think he was ugly at all. So, you know, more rays have changed, perhaps. Anderson came from quite an impoverished background and benefactors helped him throughout his life. But his writing was universally acclaimed, at least by most people. So when I say universally, all but universally, there were some detractors who were also highlighted in the displays. So we stood in the room where he was born and we learned about his parents and grandparents and what made Hans Christian Andersen tick, his travels, his desire to be appreciated, and 
uh, a dis well, I would call it a distraught, deeply fraught love life. So there, there are a lot of photos, also plenty of examples of his writings and drawings and magnificent fine paper creations, even a superb collage on a screen. So he did far more than just write. So, again, this is where until you go along to a place like this, unless you happen to be Googling somebody, you, you wouldn't have known that. And, and I, I thought it was great, a really great example of, of what a museum can bring to enrich the soul. I mean, I'm not using that as a cliche. I, I genuinely enjoyed my time. Time They're totally mesmerising. Then, of course, there, there are myriads of his books in many, many languages in the library. So we did that, and then we walked across to the Children Museum, known as the Tinderbox. And it's this hands-on cultural experience for the kids in which Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tales are brought to life through play and dress-ups and storytelling, theatre and art. So it's been designed to inspire hours of activities and a great space, terrific space, which is also well worth a look. So as you can see, this is Hans Christian Andersen's town, a dance. Directly opposite is a delightful little restaurant called The Ugly Duckling. Now, the proprietor, whose name is Bo, will serve you a traditional Danish smorgasbord complete with herring, fish fillet, Danish omelette, a tartlet filled with ham, carrots, peas in a delicious creamy sauce, and another treat being a meat and potato dish with eggs. There you go. The, the restaurant that, was started... It's, that's it's, a variety, sounds, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's great. It was really good. restaurant was started by his parents and Bo took over 14 years ago, or it was 14 years ago when we visited just over a year ago. So a dance is filled with statues that Hans Christian Andersen inspired, not only his likeness, but statues drawn from his stories. And among those is this large, imposing bronze statue of Hans Christian Andersen that was unveiled in 1888. Today, he looks down towards the deepest part of the river that runs through Odense. And there's another seated statue of the great writer next to the Radisson Blue Hotel. So this is kind of like an ode to Hans Christian Andersen, the whole so town. He really is. Is, is Odense where the Hans Christian Andersen airport is as well? Is that there too? I, I didn't notice the oh, you, you, you didn't go I'd to the surprised. airport. You went by I'd train. I'd be surprised. I would know. Yeah, I, I, I don't believe it to be the case, but uh, you can Google it for me while I'm while I'm chatting away. I'll, I'll do that. Thank you so much. Hint, hint. But but the, the statues, of course, extend to other parts of Denmark, including Copenhagen, which is the site of the Little Mermaid. Hmm, mm -hmm. the famous Little Mermaid. So after lunch, we walked through the old town and we were thoroughly taken by the brilliance of the period architecture, just how pretty the city and the river that runs through it are. And we walked past Hans Christian Andersen's school and other town landmarks, such as the Odense Cathedral, the, the town hall. We, we were even introduced to the mayor, no less. Thank you very much. And we went to the castle and, and the many quaint shops. In fact, we spent the whole day just wandering around and thinking what a great place Odense is and how beautiful it would look during the warmer months. Of course, we were there during the middle of winter. Now, on the way back to the station, we popped into a shop that sells homemade delicious chocolate and even chocolate ice cream and sorbet during summer. The owner is quite a delightful fellow who's always looking to create new concoctions. And in a few short years, he has established a really loyal customer base. So given the melt-in-your-mouth delicious treats he puts within easy reach, yes, he does provide samples, it's not hard to understand why this little chocolate shop has become a 
fancy for locals and for visitors. So look out for chocolate in Odense. Odense is the home of Hans Christian Andersen Airport. It is. It is. It's not the world's biggest airport, Alex. It's hardly oh, okay. surprising. So, so I'm sorry. That's why. Well, we only spent, as I say, a day there, or not even quite a day. And so. you didn't fly either. You, you I didn't. Train no, we yeah. trained. Yes. So, so, so I wonder how far out of a dense. Odense or Hans Christian Andersen Airport is. If it's only a small airport, it'd be relatively close, uh, you would w- think. W- well, you'd think so. There, there are also no direct flights or commercial flights between Odense and Copenhagen from there. Uh, uh, in fact, I'm trying to find out where, where they fly to, uh, and the answer is not too many places. So they have two runways. One is asphalt and the other is grass. So you know, any, uh, any airport that still has a grass runway, you're not talking about a, a, a huge airport. You could play. You could play tennis there as well, I suppose. I suppose you could. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, they do it at Wimbledon. They do it pretty well. Anyway, at about five thirty that night, we caught the train back to Central Station from where we caught a bus to Copenhagen Street Food. Now, uh, have you have you gone to places that have street food? Oh, I love I love it when you when you find somewhere that's got street food going because you really don't know what you're going to get when you turn up. Absolutely, and I mean, look, I know that. In some places, in some countries, you've got to be a bit careful if you've got a, you know, you've got any tummy issues you, 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 because you're not quite sure. None of those issues whatsoever in, in, in Copenhagen. 27 different food stalls, five bars created by the master chef from the Copenhagen Museum. Remember I mentioned him in the last podcast, Jesper Moller. Mm-hmm. Jesper Muller, rather, and he, he, he's got a couple of partners, Dan Husted, who has established and designed a number of Copenhagen restaurants, and their CFO is a guy called Ruben. So the Copenhagen street food is located in a warehouse that used to be home to the store of paper rolls that newspapers were printed on. That's where the warehouse is. And it's about 10 minutes from the heart of Copenhagen on an island that goes by the not-surprising monitor, Monica, rather, Paper Island. That's where... Copenhagen Street Food is today on Paper Island. And it was officially opened in May. Well, this would have been May the year before last. And the concept being the idea of creating great affordable food in this folksy, down-to-earth environment with a focus on global and sustainable street food cuisine. And there was a log fire burning and people sitting around chatting. You use tokens called cow cash to buy food which I think is a great idea. And, and the choices are numerous, everything from Italian to Korean and Colombian. Each meal costs, I mean, this is the equivalent of the cow cash that you spend, between 10 and 20 Australian dollars. Gee, that's all right. That's good value. Yeah. It's good. It is great value. But that, that, I guess that's the hallmark of, of a good street food district, isn't it, that the food is, is value. I'm thinking when I went to Taiwan a few mm-hmm. years ago and the, the street food there. Well, the night market's there. It's just chock full of stuff, and, you, and you, you could buy almost anything you wanted, and it was dirt cheap, yeah. Yeah, and look, they operate from trailers and wooden huts and an old shipping container and food trucks, all of them, in this warehouse. It's it's wonderful. And there's seating for about, oh, six or 700 people. So, I mean, it's, it's good stuff. It really is. A, and by the way, during summer, they play live music. And, and the vendors are all about giving back to the land. So they support a biodynamic dairy farm north of Copenhagen, part of each bottle of water sold goes towards supporting that farm. Cool. Yeah, so Copenhagen Street Food open from midday to 10 o'clock, Wednesday through to Sunday. By the way, I had a coconut soup made with coconut... uh, Sorry, I had a tomato soup made with coconut milk and chilli from an outlet called Root Food 
run by Englishman Andrew Tisco and his sister-in-law, Peniel. They opened at the beginning of August the year before last with the idea of creating fast food that's good for you. So all about tasty and healthy food choices. And Root Food uses as much as possible local seasonal ingredients, makes many traditional dishes healthy like chicken curry and tomato dal. So, for instance, each Friday they make a raw cake with natural ingredients, nothing added by way of sugar. A good example, apple crumble made without baking. Just blended cashews and almonds and almond nibs and banana, avocado, real and dried apples. So there's something a little bit different. And by the way, my tomato dal pot was made with red lentils, chopped tomatoes, star and eyes, cardamom pods, cloves, fennel seeds, coriander seeds, cabbage and noodle cut zucchini. Served hot with a crusty brown roll, it really went down a treat. Great. I'm hungry now. Good man. I, I was hoping to do that. Make you salivate a little bit. After two and a half hours relaxing and chilling out and chatting with those associated with Copenhagen street food, we were driven home in a most unusual chariot by a man whose name, well, he was called Earth. Yes, he was. <laughs> were his brothers called Wind and Fire? Or? Exactly. I, he's a, now, he's a 64-year-old American healer and entrepreneur who spent the past 23 years in Denmark. I presume he'd be 65 now. Probably. And his latest concept was this brand spanking new red three-wheeler taxi run solely on electric power. And it's got a license to travel on the footpath. A great crowd stopper. And it travels at low speeds through the streets and byways of Copenhagen. And Earth, by the way, had plans when I saw him to purchase six more electric vehicles and start a fleet of them in the Danish capital. Well, everyone's got to have, a, have an idea. Well, good luck to him because yeah. the jaunty jalopies really put a smile on people's faces. And there was a really expensive car, and I can't remember whether it was a Lamborghini or a Ferrari, but this little, I mean, this jaunty jalopy was such a crowd pleaser that this car just pulled up so that he could speak to Earth. I thought that was great. Really good. People constantly looked at us. It was fabulous. I'd never, it, it's, if you can imagine, this car was so small that you could pick it up and move it. It was great. Really good experience for me. So we had, a, we had a very full day. I mean, you know, going to a dance and then, then going to Copenhagen Street Food, it was wonderful. It was a really, really enjoyable day. The, um, the following, following morning, we headed back to the train station for a 40-minute trip from Copenhagen to an area known as Royal North Sealand, right, specifically the biggest town in the region, Helsingor, which has a population of 60,000. Royal North Sealand, distinguished by magnificent coastline and sandy white beaches, which people escape to during summer. That's why it's lovingly referred to as the Danish Riviera, Royal North Sealand. When we got off the train, we headed straight to the new Maritime Museum, which only opened in October 2013. Spectacular building below ground in an old dock at the port of Elsinore and it showcases 600 years of maritime history. The building has received several architectural prizes. You can well understand why when you see it. Built around the old dry dock of Elsinore Shipyard. Been mentioned in the New York Times as one of the world's must-see places. So you don't get a mention in the New York Times for, for just anything. No. And the museum is up for an, or was up for an accolade. We should actually check this. It was up for the 2015 European Museum of the Year. And I could understand why. I'm not sure whether it won it or not. But, you know, when we were there, that's, that's how highly it was regarded. 
so much thought and effort had gone into creating something super special. It, it was about appealing to all ages and both sexes, and that includes items you can purchase in the Maritime Museum shop. So, I mean, when you think about maritime, I suppose a lot of people would traditionally think male, but this is why they wanted to make sure it was across the sexes. And, and to those who traditionally would not set foot into a maritime museum, as well as those who, who would. So they've created this inviting atmosphere with the latest technology and crystal clear glass display cases in unusual geometric shapes that draw the eye to what's beneath or what's underneath. And of course, the sea is integral to the lifeblood of this region, particularly to this town where ships used to have to pass through regularly. Like for 400 years, every ship that plied the waters had to pay dues and those dues were vital to the Danish economy. And when that ended, the town fell into poverty until the shipyard began prospering in the late 19th century. And so it was a huge setback when it closed in the 1980s again, along with many other Danish shipyards. And now the town has sprung to life again, focusing on culture and tourism. So there you go. There's a bit of the history. It didn't win the, it didn't win the Museum of the Year Award. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, oh, Alex. 2015. I'm disappointed because I thought it could have. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't know who else were the candidates, I might say. But well, the, Ro the Rijksmuseum in and Amsterdam won it. So it didn't, you know, it's not like, not like it's lost ah. out to some half-baked outfit. No, and, and I thought the Rijksmuseum was terrific when we saw it as well. But I, I, I just, I like the innovation in the Maritime Museum. In, in I really did. I thought it was quite special in the, in the port of Elsinore. So having, having said that, the, um, the MS Maritime Museum of Denmark and Kronberg Castle which I'll talk about shortly, are the main tourist attractions in, in this area of the world. The idea behind the Maritime Museum is to show that we're all connected to the business of getting sailors and ships and goods onto the high seas. One interactive element I particularly liked was this electronic journal that looked like a book with blank pages until you placed it in a special cradle and like magic, you were transported back in time and the value of goods that could be purchased appeared in that journal. It was amazing. It was like, seriously, it was like magic. You know how I like my magic. Oh, you do. You I like do. Kid. Well, I, I can't help it. You know, I, I'm David Copperfield, Mark 67. Having, having said that, the blank pages suddenly filled. Wonderful. And then it's up to you to determine the amount of goods you want to buy, depending upon whether or not you're comfortable with the price being charged. So, that's, again, interactive. It's wonderful. And when you reach your destination, the same process applies. So effectively, you can sell your goods for a profit. Isn't that a great idea? Mm-hmm. You don't seem all that enthusiastic. Oh, sorry, I, I, I could bounce up and down, but it's not going to achieve much. No, it isn't. <laughs> it, it, I reckon it's, it's like the most sophisticated electronic game that I've seen. Great way to show how trade works. So the museum allows you to put yourself into the mindset of a sailor, his wife, a merchant, a scientist, or a consumer. And in the Danish summer, they were about to open, and this may have closed by now, this large exhibition about storms at sea. So obviously the exhibitions change. Our second stop was Kronberg Castle, and it was immortalised as Elsinore in Shakespeare's play Hamlet. It's one of the world's most important Renaissance castles in Northern Europe. It was added to UNESCO's list of World Heritage Sites in the year 2000. And the castle story dates back to a stronghold built in the 1420s. 
1574 to 1585, King Frederick II had the medieval fortress radically transformed into a magnificent Renaissance castle. In 1629, a fire destroyed much of it, but King Christian VI, I believe, subsequently had it rebuilt. Most impressive, actually, it could be King Christian IV. You know, the Roman numerals, when you have one mm. before a five, that's I think a four. that's a four. That's a four, yeah. So, yep, there you go. I'd forgotten my, my scholastic endeavour. So King Christian IV subsequently had it rebuilt. Most impressive, massive ballrooms where guests would party, but we're not talking about any old party, Chris. They'd party for weeks on end. Sounds like my kind of party. Yeah, exactly. And the castle also has a church within its walls. In 1785, it stopped being a royal residence and was converted into an army barracks. Then the army left in 1923. And once the place was renovated, it was open to the public. And if you stump up enough cash, you can still get married in the church and party in the massive ballroom. Can you party for weeks if you stump up enough cash? You'd have to stump up a, a fair bit, I dare say. But, yeah, OK. And it... So it was, as I say, opened up to the public in 1923 after a thorough renovation. After lunch, we at, at the Culture Yard, which is home to a New Age library, the design of which really impressed me. In fact, one of the many things that stood out for me about the Danes was just how innovative and intelligent they are in their designs, both interior and exterior. We then walked up to Helsingor's answer to The Little Mermaid. I mentioned The Little Mermaid in Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. A striking silver-coloured sculpture named Han, H-A-N. It's this naked young man overlooking the ocean. One surprise about it is that now and again, at unpredictable intervals, Han lowers his eyes. The sculpture lowers his eyes. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I didn't just see things, Chris. He did lower his eyes. <laughs> did, did the eyes follow you across the room as well? No, it was no, outdoors. Okay. It was outdoors. Well, did so, they follow you across the, across the open space? I, I was using the figurative room. The the metaphor. Yes, I I didn't actually really check, but I'm convinced that these eyes maybe has a brain as well, Han. Maybe it's not just a sculpture. Maybe it's a living, breathing thing that's Would, about to come to life. Wouldn't you hate that if you if you thought it was a statue and actually turned out to be a person? Well, you know those those human statues that sort of put themselves in, in shiny silver outfits and gold outfits and mm. they don't move. I mean, yeah, well, maybe. But that was Han. So you've got to see Han when you go to Helsingor. But after we then headed back to Copenhagen and, and then to the, the main shopping district where we looked around for a couple of hours. Women's shoe shops are everywhere, I could tell you, Chris. In, I bet in your wife loved that. My wife was in seventh heaven. She She's sort of a Melda Marcos part three. <laughs> She, You've she, mentioned this before, yeah, and I'm just she, amazed you're still alive. Yeah, she loves her shoes. In fact, we need a new house for her shoes. But but alongside the international brand names, there's no shortage of Danish shops selling a variety of wares, just as you'd expect. And what I enjoyed was the ambience, the freedom to move around readily without hordes of people slowing your progress. So it was 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 great. And the next morning, by the way, we we went we walked around Copenhagen on foot. Butte day it was too. Uh, and we, we, we did walk to the Little Mermaid to take some more happy snaps. The bronze statue by Edvard Eriksson is displayed on a rock by the waterside on the promenade, commissioned in 1909 by Carl Jacobson, the son of the founder of Carlsberg, the brewery. Oh, so that's why it's called Carlsberg. Exactly. So 
this is um, so that was the bronze statue though, which is really famous the world over, was commissioned by the son of the brewery founder. And Ericsson had apparently well been fascinated by a ballet about the fairy tale by Hans Christian Andersen in Copenhagen's Royal Theatre. And he asked the ballerina Ellen Price to model for the statue. That's how it came to be. And it was unveiled on August 23, 1913. The statue's head was modelled after Ellen Price, but because the ballerina didn't agree to model in the nude, the sculptor's wife, Aline Erickson, was used for the body. There you go, a little... Oh, I suppose it's not a little-known fact. If you go to Copenhagen, you'll find out. But the Little Mermaid is one and a quarter metres tall and weighs 175 kilograms. So she's little, but she's not light. Correct. And next we headed to the striking red buildings that form the Copenhagen Citadel. Beautiful area, surrounded by lush gardens, just really great for a stroll. The Citadel or Fortress was founded by Danish King Christian again the Fourth in 1626. So the elevated areas, great opportunities to take plenty of happy snaps of Copenhagen. And there's also a windmill there. And next to the citadel is St Albans Anglican Church, built in Gothic revival style from 1885 to 1887 for the growing English congregation in the city, dedicated to St Alban, the first martyr of Great Britain. Then it was off to the changing of the guard. We saw a few changing of the guards in Europe. I'm, I'm noticing the trend here. Yeah, well, I mean, they look really good. I mean, there's no doubt. At Emilienborg Palace, the winter home of the Danish royal family. And, and the palace consists of four identical facades with Rococo interiors around this octagonal courtyard. And in the centre of the square is a monumental equestrian statue of Emilienborg's founder, King Frederick V. It was originally built for four noble families, Emilienborg, but when... Christianburg Palace burnt down in February 1794, the royal family bought, bought the palaces and moved in. Well, I mean, if the others had burnt down, you, you do need a place to live. You know, you're not, a, you're not a royal family if you haven't got a palace. Correct. You need at least one. The spectacular dome of Frederick's Church, popularly known as the Marble Church, beckoned. So off we went there. The Lutheran Church, distinguished also by Rococo architecture, was designed in 1740. And Frederick's Church has the largest church dome in Scandinavia with a span of 31 metres, and the dome rests on 12 columns. It was inspired, well, believed to be, by St Peter's Basilica in Rome. And our final stop before we rushed back to our hotel to collect our belongings and head to the airport for a flight to Amsterdam that departed was the Round Tower. 17th century tower and observatory, 35 metres tall, the oldest functioning observatory in Europe. And when King Christian V, I've mentioned him a few times, built the tower, Denmark was actually quite famous for its astronomical achievements. When he died, King Christian V in 1601, the king wanted his country to continue with the astronomical research, which is exactly what happened. And while it's been a while since the professional scientists left, the observatory is still used by amateur astronomers, astronomers to this day. And it's encircled by an outdoor platform from which you've got this bird's eye view of the old part of Copenhagen. And to get there, you need to walk up a spiral walkway, including a few steps that get narrower towards the top. I thought that was a nice touch, quite mm -hmm. frankly. And, and there's so much more than see to, to see and do in, in Copenhagen, which is really a great place to visit. Really friendly, helpful people. 
also ready to chat with you and you know when, when you get lost if you if you get lost uh, and look unfortunately time got the better of us as it seemed to do right throughout Europe but the best place to explore Copenhagen best way to explore Copenhagen is on foot no question about that and with a Copenhagen card that gives you free public transport and access to all sorts of, of attractions I reckon a week would be a perfect length of time to spend leisurely in Copenhagen and its surrounds especially for a first-time visitor we only had three full days, Chris, but at least it, it leaves us keen to see more next time round. And incidentally, we took an SAS flight from Copenhagen to Amsterdam. That was an absolute beauty. We sat up the front of the plane. We were fed far better than your average tucker. In fact, the food was great. On now, that did you, was, was this a paid for up, upgrade or were you just lucky? No, no, this was this is just on the everybody on the flight. Oh, so SAS really do take care of you. Oh, it was fabulous. I mean, real we we got real fruit smoothies on the short flight. Menu choices that included gourmet sandwiches and pizza. I mean, that was really quite something. And the fast lane security check-in was lightning quick. Before the flight, by the way, I had the opportunity to inspect the business lounge, mighty impressed by the look and feel. And if you are flying on business or leisure, the lounge is certainly a very pleasant place to continue working or having something to, to eat and drink. I, was to, I actually talked to SAS, found out a couple of things worth mentioning. They've implemented a new service concept, well, not so long ago, and in Europe that means two service classes, namely SAS Plus and SAS Go. So get, let's go to the first one. SAS Plus, all the benefits of business on the ground. So we're talking about use of the lounge, fast track security, free meals, drinks and preferential seating, along with two pieces of luggage of up to 23 kilograms each. That's 46 kilos of luggage. That's not bad. But the seating remains an economy seat. What an interesting concept. I'd not heard of that before. So that's SAS+. Plus. And SAS do a lot of little short hop flights because they, they, yeah, they, yeah, they, they have Sweden, Norway, Denmark and, and, and all the funnily enough, the Scandinavian countries for the Scandinavian airline, yeah. Yeah, um, and then you've got SAS Go, which is your normal economy service with a single piece of luggage up to 23 kilos. Meals are not included, but you can buy those on board. And they also have some particularly good one-way fares, SAS, unlike a number of other carriers that have rules around Saturday night to qualify for cheaper return fares. So that's why... Really good idea to check out one-way fares if, if you know, travelling through Europe and you're not going back and forth. Uh, and you know, if you want to go back and forth, by all means, do that as well. But that I just thought it was worth mentioning because, you know, special fares and, and good service, you know, that, that's, that's worth giving a, a shout-out to. So I, I think we should probably end the podcast here because um, then we can sort of talk about uh, Amsterdam and uh, we can do that next time. One quick question ahead of Amsterdam. Will it include a visit to the 2015 European Museum of the Year? Indeed. Well, as I say, <laughs> I, I did say that, that I did go there and I will definitely mention it in, in all its glory. Uh, and, I mean, museums right throughout Europe are just spectacular. We, we had a day in Amsterdam where we visited three museums. Now, some people say, oh, my golly, it's too much. No, it was not. When you see what is there to see... You just say, my golly, uh, you know, this is where, you know, thousands of years, hundreds and hundreds into the thousands of years uh, means a great deal. That's what I love about Europe. So uh, we will continue the expedition, the journey next week, Christopher. Indeed we shall with another edition of Travel First. 
Uh, I'm Chris Coleman. He's Alex First. And don't forget, you can find us as well on Twitter at Travel First Pod. And we're also available via Facebook. And we look forward to your company again very soon here on Travel First. You've been listening to Travel First. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher and iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.